Matthew 21, verses 18 and following. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Heavenly Father, we pray that, Lord, you'd be pleased to teach us this morning and to guide us, um, that you would be pleased, Lord, to... Uh, uh, to bless us as we look to your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, again, as I've already said, we, uh, this morning we pick up and continue in our study of Matthew's gospel. And the, really, arguably, the message that I have this morning is really kind of a, uh, a part two uh, of last week's message. Uh, we saw last week that Jesus makes use of this fruitless uh, fig tree in order to give us a very powerful object lesson, doesn't he? And I think once we begin to understand some of the significance of this object lesson, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's very difficult to forget after that, isn't it? Uh, as we think about the fig tree being in leave, but uh, uh, being without any fruit. And last week as we saw that when, when we look at this object lesson in the context uh, we see that what's, what's really going on here is this, this, this fig tree really kind of stands as an emblem of false professions of faith, of uh, advertising oneself to be uh, a man or a woman of God when there's no fruit in our lives. Uh, we might put it even in more of a, a contemporary fashion and say that uh, it's a, really a powerful uh, emblem, if you will, reboot, rebuke, if you want to call it that, of taking the name Christian upon ourselves uh, when there is no fruit in our lives. And because this is such an important issue, there's just a few things I want to cover uh, before we move on. You know, we, we can't cover everything in one sermon. Um, when you're first starting out, sometimes you have a temptation to want to do that, and I've been guilty of it, where you you just fill the wheelbarrow up with everything and you take it to the poor congregation and you just go and uh, that's never helpful to anyone um, so I really want to kind of pick up where we left off um, last week and the first thing that I would like to do this morning is really kind of compare a false profession of faith with a true profession of faith in order that we might tease out the difference between the two by contrasting them and comparing them I think it will be quite helpful as we, um, as we do this. And the first thing that I want to say uh, really is, uh, let me even maybe back up uh, just for a moment. Um, I, I think when most of us are asked, what is the difference between a true uh, confession of faith or profession of faith and a false profession of faith, I think most of us would probably respond by saying, well, one has faith and the other one doesn't. Does that make sense? The false profession of faith is lacking faith. The true profession of faith has faith. Now, in one sense, that's true. Um, one profession of faith 
has saving faith. The true profession of faith has saving faith. But the false profession of faith very often is not without faith. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. A lot of times when you counsel, and I, I have counseled folks who had been making a false profession of faith uh, for many years and weren't aware of it. Uh, it is not as if uh, these folks didn't believe that Jesus walked the earth. It's not as if they didn't believe that Jesus uh, didn't live a perfect life. In fact, many times they'll assert that Jesus walked the earth, He lived a perfect life, He offered that life on the altars of His justice, that on the third day He was raised, that now He is he's seated in heaven at the right hand of God the Father with absolute authority. And oftentimes, those who have made false profession of faith even have a commitment to church and are active in church. That's what makes this so difficult. They can be active in church for many years, actually. And they can have a commitment, actually, to trying to, follow, to try to follow God's Word. It really sounds like faith, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like faith. Well, what's the difference? The difference is night and day. The difference is the false profession of faith lacks connection with the Savior. The false profession lacks that connection. Our scripture memory verse this morning, John 15 and verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now, it is indeed possible... And it is indeed quite common to hold to all of the tenets of Orthodox Christianity and not have Christ in your life. It's not only possible, it is quite common. And because if Christ is not in our life, not only are we still lust, but it's impossible for us to bear fruit. So let's spend some time looking at this. I want to Look at several ways where we can go wrong with our faith. Um, and this will not only instruct ourselves, but it maybe I'm, I'm really praying that this will be useful to us as we try to help other people as well. Uh, sometimes when you talk to people about faith, they, they'll, they'll just simply talk about faith. I, I've talked to lots of people where they say, I know I need to get back to my faith. I need to get back to my faith. I know that I need to go back to my faith. And, and, and when you talk to folks uh, who say that over and over again, you have to be asking this question to yourself. Faith in what? You know, what is it that you have to get back to faith in? And I've talked with people who there is no answer to the what. The goal, in a sense, is just to get back to faith. You see, faith becomes an end in itself. And this is not a biblical picture of what faith is, of what saving faith is. I've got to get back to my faith. Faith in what? Well, it's almost as if that doesn't matter, as if that question doesn't even really need to be answered. Just get back to your faith. This is really kind of a close cousin to just thinking positive, isn't it? 
Uh, that's not going to get us anywhere. That is not what Jesus is talking about in our text when he, when he says the words, listen, if you have faith and do not doubt. That little phrase there, if you have faith. This is not what Jesus is talking about. It's not at all that what He is talking about. Which leads to really my second point. Um, Jesus must be the object of that faith. He must be the object of that faith. Faith must have an object. Uh, it, it must be faith in something. And if faith is to be saving, it must be uh, faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, let, let me flesh this out a little bit to hopefully make it a little bit clearer. Uh, faith must have an object. Let me flesh out what I mean by object. Years ago, I had a fellow that worked for me who was really my right-hand man. Um, I knew that whatever I gave him to do, I knew it would, it would get done and it would get done well. In fact, it would, it would get done to the best of his ability. I had complete confidence in him because every single time I gave him something to do, he got it done. Now, in this sense, the object of this faith that I'm talking about here was my right-hand man. It was this man who worked for me. He was the object of that faith. Now, let's look at it a little closer. Um, I knew what he was capable of doing, and I knew what he was not capable of doing. And I tried never, never to give him things that he just simply wasn't able to do. Because if I did, well, then I'm setting him up to fail. Uh, there were some things that we did that I had to take care of myself. He, 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 this just wasn't his area. He did things that, he did lots of things better than I could ever do them. It wasn't my area. But there were things that I just, I, I knew that if I gave him to do those things, it would, it, would, it would cause him a lot of stress, it would cause him a lot of duress, and it just wouldn't go well. So you see, my faith, in this sense, my faith was in him, but this faith had limits to it. And it was limited to his abilities. To give him something to do that he didn't have the ability to do would be misguided. It, it wouldn't even be very wise on my part. So my, I had faith in him, but that faith uh, was limited. Another example would be your cars. We all have vehicles. If, we're deciding to, if we decide we're going to take our vehicle on a long trip, we have, to, we have to really look at our cars and say, you know, is this car up to the task? Um, we, we answer yes or no. We might even answer maybe. We're not quite sure. And, you know, as we start saying maybe, not quite sure, we're probably on our way to looking for another car. I mean, as the faith in our car diminishes, that's when we start looking for another vehicle. In this sense, the car is the object of our faith. Now, my point here is, is that faith is only as good as its object. So we can't just say, have faith. That doesn't make any sense. And it's not biblical. And for faith to be saving, that faith has to be in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, a third point here where faith often goes wrong is uh, sometimes we put that faith in something else and we kind of just appendage Jesus to what we have going on. If we back up a little bit to the context of our passage, Jesus is rebuking the religious institution of the day because the object of their faith wasn't Christ, was it? They were trying to get rid of Christ. They were trying to run Christ off. But it's not. We can't say that these folks didn't have faith. 
they indeed did demonstrate faith. Probably the most common faith position in that day was faith in the temple. They thought to themselves, because we have the temple of God here, we're good to go. It's because we have the temple of God, the temple of God, the temple of God. Remember, we read from the prophets who said, do not think because you have the temple of God, the temple of God, the temple of God. You see, that's a position where they're doing all kinds of godly things. They're obeying the law, at least to the letter of the law. They're going through all of these motions. They're doing all of these things. And there is indeed a faith position present. The problem is the object of the faith. Now, I don't know anybody, I've never talked to anybody who has faith in the temple. But I think the most common problem that we run into, by far, is that we don't relinquish faith in ourselves. It is really easy to continue on trusting in yourself and just add a bunch of Jesus talk to it. That is really easy to do. And I'm not suggesting that people do this in a false kind of way where they're trying to really uh, be false about it. Uh, we're not even, uh, I think, always even conscious of the ways that we do this. But this idea of trusting, I know scores of people that are trusting in themselves. And this is the same problem because it's the wrong object of our faith. You've probably heard this many times. You know, I will be fine if I can just get a little help from Jesus. It might not be said in so many words. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm missing the mark, but if I get just a little bit of help from Jesus, then, I can, then I, I'll be able to make the mark. I'll be able to get by if I can just get a little bit of help from Jesus. Now, what is the object of that faith position? It's very clear. What's the pronoun? I. I can do this if I have some help. Now, I'm making it a little clearer than it often comes out when you're talking to people, but it's in essence the same thing. What's wrong? Jesus is not the object of that faith. Self still is. And if there's one thing that's made clear by the Old Testament and the New Testament is that you can't do it. Israel proves this over and over and over again. It can't be done. Remember the illustration I used just a few minutes ago about my right-hand man. Um, I, I, I absolutely love that guy. I, I trust that guy. I absolutely love that guy. But my faith in him was limited to his abilities. And if we're still trusting in ourselves, which we probably don't trust too many people more than we trust ourselves, uh, then what we can do is limited to our own abilities. Um, Jeremiah, in his famous passage from chapter 13 and verse 23, says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? You've all heard that verse many times. If we're going to get right with God, we have to have a new heart. And that's something that none of us can do, is it? We simply cannot do that. And we all know that. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm sharing anything uh, here that all of you don't already know. But the interesting thing about it is we know this. Yet, getting rid of self 
Relinquishing trust in self has got to be the hardest thing to do, isn't it? I really don't think I'm, I'm giving you anything on this point that you don't already know. Uh, what, but what I really want to do is I want to expose what could be going on. I, I don't know that this is going on in your life. I, I don't know these things, so don't think that I, I think I know what's going on in your heart and I don't know what's going on in your heart. I'm just wanting to appraise you of, of a very popular way in which faith can go wrong. We can continue to trust in ourselves and add Jesus on with the game. Um, and that has to be relinquished. I want to conclude here uh, with one last point, and that's coming to Christ. Uh, that's where all this is leading to. Uh, it, it's very easy to embrace all of the orthodox tenets of Christianity. That's actually quite uh, easy to do, to mentally assent uh, to you know, five or six or seven uh, basic points about Christianity. Uh, but it's a whole other thing to come to Christ. That's a whole other thing. And in the church, we often talk about coming to Christ, or we talk about looking to Christ, or we talk about believing in Christ, or we talk about faith in Christ. But I don't know that we ever take a minute to, to, to define what all that is. And I, I think that uh, these assumptions, we, we need to be careful with these assumptions because I remember once upon a time trying to figure out how to come to Christ. I really was trying to figure that out. I understood I needed to come to Christ, but I had no idea how to do it. So I thought, well, I'll just ask. And that left me more confused than I was when I started. I asked everybody that I could think of that I could ask as they would come into our music store. I would ask them, oh, you know, how do you come to Christ? And, oh, my goodness, the, difference, the different answers that I would get. And I thought, well, maybe I need to wait and talk to some pastors. Now, most of these pastors I talk to aren't even in this area any longer. But as I talked with them, I got the same thing I was getting from many of the people, all these different answers. Finally, I said to Tammy, I said, I'm not sure anybody really understands this. I think it's one of those things that we assume we all understand, but nobody bothers to, like, how do we, how do, we do this? You know, how do, we, how do we come to Christ? I'll tell you what helped me. You know who the pastor who helped me was? Charles Spurgeon. He died in 1892. He's been more help to me than probably anybody. This is what he said. Listen how simple. He used to say this to his congregation. He says, when mom tells her child to come and get an apple, the child does not fuss over how to come. It's really a simple thing. <laughs> child just comes and gets the apple. Now that child, that child might be able to walk really well. That child might not be able to walk very well. That child might be like little Kaylee when she walks right now. So we've got it on video. We can share it with you if you ever want to see it. But she's got this little inchworm thing going on. I've never seen a baby do, but she does a push-up and then she slides her, her torso in and then she lunges her her uh, two hands out and the, she looks just like an inchworm going across the floor. Um, we can hobble, we can stumble, we can walk. It makes no difference. Mom has an apple and she says, come and get the apple. We don't fuss over the proper way to come to get the apple. 
we don't fuss over the proper technique to come and get the apple. Mom's got an apple. She's offering it to us. We come and we take the apple. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That, that, I remember when I was going through this, that, that actually just opened up a door for me. Oh. Why, Isaiah tells me to look to Christ, and others tell me to come to Christ, and then I'm told to have faith in Christ, and I see that there's multiple types of faith in the Bible. What type of faith do I need to have? And believing in Christ. Some, some believe, but not all belief is saving. It's just like coming to get the apple. Sometimes we make things way harder than they need to be. Now, how, there's, there's many ways where this goes wrong. Sometimes we'll say to ourselves, well, you know, I, I got a few issues over here. I got a couple issues over here. When I get these issues taken care of, then I'll come to Christ. Here, Jesus is offering me salvation. I need, to, I need to come. I need to take this salvation. But I've got a couple of issues over here. When I get these issues taken care of, then I will be over, uh, I'll be over to take this salvation. Now, what's going on there? This is really popular, actually. What's going on there? The person is trying to reform themselves at least to a certain degree, before they come to Jesus. If that was the gospel, we wouldn't call it the gospel. The gospel means good news. Evangelion means good news. That's not good news. You have to reform yourself to some degree before you can come to Jesus. Well, none of us would come to Jesus because none of us... I mean, what degree is that anyway? To, to what degree? I mean, where's the line? What line do we need to cross before we can come? I mean, what issues? We need some definitions here. What issues, what issues are so bad that we need to deal with before we come to Jesus? You see the problem this creates? Well, the good news is, you know, you take these issues that you have and you bring them to Jesus. Just like mom saying, here's an apple. Well, mom, I got these issues over here. I don't, you know, I get this taken care of. I'll come uh, for, for the apple. No. We just come to Christ. Someone might say, you know, I have doubts. I've had people say that, you know, what do you do about doubts? And a lot of times, none of us want to admit that we have doubts. But my guess is there's not a single person in this room who doesn't have doubts sometimes. Would you think any less of me if I told you I have doubts sometimes? I've read of famous missionaries and pastors who, guess what? They accomplished mightier things than I'm ever going to accomplish. They wrote books that I, I can't even really fully understand, let alone write. And you know what? They had doubts. What do we do about doubts? What Jesus says, what's He say in our text? He says, if you have faith and do not what? Do not doubt. Uh-oh, I've got doubts. I can't come to Jesus like this. That's flat wrong, isn't it? What do we do when we have doubts? We do the same thing when we have issues. We come to Jesus. If God were to say, listen, um, you go deal with these doubts, you take care of these doubts, and then you can come to Jesus, that wouldn't be good news, would it? But that's not the gospel. The gospel is, you know what? Bring those doubts with you, every single one of them. Because I have provided for you a Savior who can deal with the doubts. Doesn't that lift your heart? We don't have to hide this. We don't hide it. We just take it to Jesus and we confess it before Him. 
and he deals with our doubts. Another person will say, well, I'm ashamed. I've got this guilt and this shame going on. If I could just deal with this guilt and I could just deal with this shame, well, then I'd be happy to... I know I'd come, but it's just too shameful. I feel too guilty. Well, what do we say to that person? Well, first of all, there's two types of shame and guilt. One type, sometimes we feel ashamed and guilty when someone's manipulating us. That's not the shame and guilt I'm talking about here. The other type of guilt and shame we experience is when we're guilty. And that's the type I'm speaking about here. Why do we feel shame and guilt? It's because we're guilty of sin that we've committed against God. And even without God's grace, we're not even going to see this sin as being against God. We, we have a tendency to see this sin against one another. Uh, but we don't see it against God. We need God's grace to even see that. But as we begin to see that, what do we do? We don't crawl in a corner and try to deal with this on our own because we can't. The problem with our guilt and our shame is we have sinned and we can't take that away, can we? It's already been done. It's already happened. The history book on that issue is closed. It can't be changed. But when God says, well, you know, um, I've sent someone. In fact, I've come myself to deal with just that problem. I've come to deal with your sins. In fact, forget about your guilt and shame for a moment because that's a symptom of a deeper problem that you have. We're going to cut clear down to the root. We're not just going to pull the plant out flush with the ground and leave the root structure intact. We're going to get those roots clear out of there. Jesus dies on the cross to do what? To take away the sins of His people. And when He takes away the sins of His people, He takes away the guilt and He takes away the shame. So we don't hesitate to come to Jesus because of guilt and shame. In fact, we need guilt and shame on our resume to come to Jesus. If we don't have any guilt and shame on our resume, then Jesus said, I didn't come to heal the person that's well. I come to heal the one who is sick. Someone say to you, well, you, you know, all you need to come to Jesus is a little bit of guilt and shame. And even if you have a whole lot of it, that'd be fine too. That's almost too good to be true, isn't it? And someone say, well, man, you just have no idea how much guilt and shame I have. It doesn't make any difference how much you have, whether it's a lot or it's a little. Our faith is only as strong as the object that we put it into. If our faith is in ourselves, then it does make a difference how bad our situation is. But if our faith is in Christ, it doesn't make any difference how bad our situation is. As we think about all the things that we've done, if we were to list them on this wall, we couldn't even get them all on this wall, but if we were to list them on this wall, it would be just awful, wouldn't it? Who would want to go first? You put yours up first. I'll get mine, uh, I'll get mine afterwards. Who wants to do that? Who wants to go first? It would be terrible. That stuff that we carry around with us, we don't have to carry around with us. Because God sent us a Savior. That guilt and that shame that we're experiencing is because of the sin that we've committed. But when Jesus takes away the sins, then it's as if it never happened. We're told that we're new creatures in Christ. Can't you, can't you feel that the cleansing effect of what I'm saying? That's the gospel. We just come to Jesus. He takes that away. How do we come to Jesus? How do we do it? 
by simply putting your trust in him. Mom's holding the apple. Is she going to snatch it away before you get to it? No, here's an apple. We come and take it. Christ says, here's salvation. Trust. Just trust in me. Someone said, well, I don't, think I, I don't even think I can trust in Jesus. Well, that's all right. Just try. None of us are trusting in Jesus perfectly. Maybe you can only trust this much. Maybe, you only have, maybe you're only able to trust a fraction of an inch. But take that fraction of an inch to Christ. Isaiah says, look to, look to me. Basically, God's saying through Isaiah, look to me. Turn to me and be saved. Look to me and be saved. It only takes a glance of Christ. It only takes a glance. It's that simple. So what have we said in conclusion? The fundamental difference between false or an empty profession and a true profession is this. There's no connectivity to Christ in a false profession. There can be orthodoxy. We could pass the theological exam. I'll tell you, there's a lot of men who pass all of their theological exams and enter into the ministry who are not connected to Christ. This happens. Uh, when I was working at the counseling center up at the, the seminary, I counseled men who were studying to be pastors. And I, I had uh, a lot of reservations about a couple of the men that I was counseling, whether there was any connectivity to Christ. There was orthodoxy. That's not the kind of seminary you go to if you're unorthodox. That's just not the place. That, that seminary doesn't attract that. So it's very possible to be orthodox and not connected. We have to be connected. Jesus must be the object of our faith. Even if we can only trust Him a little bit, if you can only trust Him this much right now, trust Him with what you have. That trust will grow. Our faith in Christ grows. Our trust in Christ is something that grows and blossoms as we connect ourselves to Him by faith. And it has no limits. He's able to clear the guilt and shame away. He's able to wash us. He's able to take away our doubts. Most importantly, He's able to give us that inner life that produces fruit. And that takes us right back to the fig tree, doesn't it? There's no reason that we have to be in leaf only. There's no reason for that. When we can come to Christ and we can be not only in leaf, but also in fruit as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for such a great salvation for if you had not said these things and had written them in your word lord we could hardly believe that they're true that we can have all these things by coming to you with a simple faith and even with a, a faith that has so many imperfections a faith that, that has so many things are wrong with it lord um, you give us what we need and as we trust you to give us what we need all we merely need to do is come to you I pray, O oh Lord, that no one in this room would be found to be leaf only. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would make us all fruitful. And I pray, O oh Lord, that some of the fruit that you would enable us with it would be the, the fruit to be able to help one another. That if someone were to ask a person in this congregation how to come to Christ, that they would have a ready answer and a quick answer. And not only have an answer, but also be able to lie, lend a guiding hand. So, O oh Lord, we pray that as we go forth into this valley, Lord, that we would go forth with the, with the gospel, that we'd go forth with the right information. And, oh, Lord, I pray that as we go forth, we would go forth uh, bearing fruit. In Jesus' precious name, amen.